Welcome to the LifeGate Podcast. Our vision is changing lives in a changing culture with the unchanging truth. Our prayer is that these weekly messages will inspire you to life change through the principles found in God's Word. For more information, visit us online at LifeGateBurleson.com. Hey, I'm excited today to start off this brand new series called Cautionary Tales. Now, how many have ever heard that, that expression before, Cautionary Tales? You ever heard that said? I'd heard it before, but honestly, before I got the idea for this message series, I really didn't know quite what it meant, so I had to look it up and just kind of see what does that mean, and of course, where are you going to look something up? Of course, you're going to Google it, and where did it lead me straight to? Wikipedia, right? And so in Wikipedia, let me just tell you what this, what this term, Cautionary Tales, what what it means in Wikipedia. It says like this, a cautionary tale is a tale that is told in folklore and it warns its listeners of danger. Everybody say danger. Danger. A cautionary tale is just a story that is told to kind of be a warning or kind of a caution. And some of us have heard stories like this before, like, you know, like Pinocchio that kind of just says, hey, don't tell lies or your nose will grow. Come on, right? You might get swallowed up by a big fish and all kinds of stuff. Oh, wait, that's Jonah, but kind of Pinocchio too. And, and we've all heard stories like this or, you know, like Little Red Riding Hood that, you know, just, just basically says, don't go to grandma's house by yourself. You know what I'm saying? And maybe you got some of these stories from your parents uh, when you were a kid that may have, you know, you may have grown up and they say, hey, don't sit too close to the TV or you're going to go blind or don't make that face for too long or your face will get stuck like that. Come on, how many of your parents said something like that? Or, you know, don't get a Red Ryder BB gun or you'll shoot your eye out, you know. Cautionary tales, tales that just stories that just kind of give us warnings for things in life. And I started thinking about this, that the Bible is actually filled with some cautionary tales, some stories that are not meant to scare us, but stories that are meant to warn us and to caution us and to kind of help us to stay on the right path, to keep us out of some danger and of some things that could be harmful to us that God never intended for our lives. And so in this series, over the next uh, three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a few of the cautionary tales from the Bible, and we're going to learn some important things that will be kind of a warning and a caution for areas of our lives. And I'm just going to tell you, you don't want to miss a single week because we're going to dive into some stuff that will really affect your life. In fact, next week, everybody say next week. Next week, we're going to talk about one that, that all of us deal with. We're going to talk about our finances, and we're going to talk about how to be broke. Now, some of you are like, I don't need to learn how to do that because I already am that, right? And next week, we're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about if you are broke, why you are broke, and maybe a few cautions and warnings to kind of keep us from going down that pathway. Then on the last week of the series, we're going to talk about something that the Lord kind of put in my heart that I think many of you maybe are experiencing and dealing with this idea or this issue of burnout in your life. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the story story of a man in the Bible who became burned out. And we're going to talk about why did he become burned out and how can you, and maybe if you are burned out, why are you so burned out in your life? And I'm just going to challenge you, like do not miss next week and especially don't miss that third week of this series. In fact, some of you know some people that you might need to even invite for that week because God's going to speak 
into their lives. Now today, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into this with this first one that we're going to look at, and that is this idea of discontentment or dissatisfaction in our lives. We're going to look at a story that Jesus tells to teach us some things about why we become so discontent or dissatisfied in our lives. And to set it up, let me just say this today. I believe there is a myth in our world today, especially in the culture today, that so many of us believe. And the myth, basically, I call it, I call it the myth of more. Because here's what it is. The myth is this, is that if I could just have a little more than what I have now, then I'd be satisfied. And man, this myth plays out in so many different ways in our lives. I mean, constantly you look and over the airwaves and everything you see on TV and everything you read in in books and everything you hear on the radio is constantly playing towards this sense of discontent and dissatisfaction in our lives. That what you have is not enough. And in order to be happy and in order to be satisfied, what you need to do is buy our product. You need to have that thing that I have and that that will make you satisfied in life. Come on, how many have recognized this in our culture today? In fact, it kind of plays out, kind of goes like this, that, that if, if one is good, then two is definitely better, right? Come on, you know what I'm saying? Like, if one dollar is good, then you know what? Two dollars would be way better, right? Or, you know, if, if one car is good, then you need to have two cars, because two cars would be completely, would be oh, so, so much better. Like, if, you know, if If one trip is good, then two trips would be better. If playing one sport is good, then chasing around all over the country on every select team that there is out there all year long, then that's going to be way, way, way better. If one is good, two is better. One wife is good, two is not, not, not better. Not, not. That would be trouble. That'd be a problem. And here's the deal. This, this sense of dissatisfaction or discontentment in our lives, and so many people are struggling with it. And the truth is, it's not, it's not a new issue in our world today. It's one that has been happening since the very beginning of time. I mean, you may remember the story in Genesis. God created Adam and Eve. He put them into the garden and he blessed them. He put them in this perfect place where they had everything that they could ever need and everything that they could ever want. And he told them, you can have anything in this garden except for this one thing. Don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we know the story that the serpent comes along and he says, oh, oh, you can have all this stuff, but none of that stuff will satisfy you. The thing that you really want is the thing that God has said that you cannot have. And if you will have it, then you will be satisfied. And from that moment in time, man and woman, human existence has been discontent with their lives. In fact, there's some of you that are here today, and if you're really honest, you look at your life and you think, man, it's not what I expected it to be. You look at areas of your life and you think, man, I'm just kind of dissatisfied with that area. In fact, some of you, you woke up this morning and you looked in the mirror and you were dissatisfied with what you saw. Oh man, I wish that I could be, I wish I could be skinnier, or I wish I could be better looking, or I wish I had more hair, or I I wish I had more muscles like Pastor Chad, you know what I mean? (laughs) Y'all didn't have to laugh that hard, all right? That kind of hurt my feelings there. 
And you look at your life and you go, man, I would be happy if, if I had this or if I was that. Or, you know, hey, I can't be happy unless I'm, you know, unless I am dating someone. And then you're dating someone and, hey, I can't be happy unless we get married. And then you get married and you're like, I'm not happy with the person that I married. Come on, right? And, and, and if we would have kids, if we could have kids, then would we would be happy. But then you have kids and you're like, if I could get a babysitter, then I would be happy. And on and on and on it goes. I'm not happy with my job. I'm not happy with my clothes. I'm not happy with my house. I'm not happy with my car. The thing that I want is the thing that I don't have. And there's this sense of discontent and dissatisfaction in our lives. And Jesus tells us the story to warn against this, this attitude of discontentment. We find it in this, in this passage in Matthew chapter 20 and verse number one. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or you can follow along on the screen or in your LifeGate app today. And let's read it together. Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, which was about $75 for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went and he went out again about noon and again about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found others, uh, still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and call for the foreman and the workers, uh, call the workers and pay them their wages. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius, about $75. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected, everybody say expected. They expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of work in the middle of the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, I, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who, I, who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be Last. Now, I just got to be honest. This is an interesting story. In fact, to me, it's a story that kind of frustrates me just a little bit, right? I mean, it doesn't make very much sense. It's really not that fair. This guy hires these men at the beginning of the day. They work all day long and he hires some others that only work an hour. And at the end of the day, he pays the guys who only worked an hour the exact same amount. He pays the guys that worked all day long. How many are frustrated about that, right? And so were the guys in the story. 
In fact, they became incredibly dissatisfied and discontent. And what I want to do is I want to look at this story and I think we can see a couple of reasons that we find ourselves discontent or dissatisfied in areas of our life. And then we're going to talk about a few habits that we can do in our lives that will protect us from this idea of discontentment. So if you're taking notes, you can write these, first, these three things down today. The first one is simply this. If you want to become discontent, here's what you do. You just expect. Everybody say expect. You just expect. In fact, let me just tell you something. One of the greatest reasons for our discontentment, dissatisfaction, discouragement in life comes down to this one simple concept of our expectations. In fact, we, we talked about it a couple weeks ago when we were talking about marriage and we taught you this principle called the expectation gap. So everybody say expectation gap. Expectation gap. And the expectation gap basically goes like this. Applies to marriage, but I think it applies to almost every area of our life. It basically goes like this. When what I expect to happen doesn't line up with what I am actually experiencing in my life, there is a gap between what I expected and what I experienced. And inside that gap, what is that gap usually filled up with? It's usually filled up with frustration, disappointment, dissatisfaction, discontentment, right? I expected one thing, but then what I actually experienced in life was not the same. And in the middle of that situation, I have this discouragement or this dissatisfaction. And this is exactly what happens in the story. Look at it in verse number 10. It says, so when those who came who were hired first, look what happens. It says they what? Everybody say this word. They expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. I I mean, here's these guys, they had worked all day long and they, they, they knew what they were going to receive. But when they saw that these guys had only worked an hour and they received the same amount that they had been, that these guys had been promised to receive who had worked all day, but then they got the same amount, they were frustrated. And the reason they were frustrated is because they had an expectation gap. And isn't this the way it happens for so many people in our lives? I mean, you think about this story. It frustrates me because the truth is, it feels like it's not fair. Like, right? I mean, come on. Like, these guys worked an hour. We worked all day. That ain't fair. Come on. How many ever said those words before? That's not fair, right? All of us have. I mean, I said it. I used to say it when I was a kid. Dad, that's not fair. You know, not my fair. My sister gets this and my friends get this and I don't get that. And my dad used to say these words that I hated with all of my heart. I would say, dad, that's not fair. And my son would, or my, my dad would look at me and he would say, son, life's not fair. Come on. How many ever heard those words before, right? How many hated those words just as bad as I did, right? I hate those words. But let me tell you something, they're true. Life's not fair. And many of you, the reason that you are discontent with your life, the reason that you have this sense of dissatisfaction with areas in your life is that you have expected life to be fair. And let me just tell you something today. If you are expecting life to always be fair, let me tell you, you will be disappointed. If you are expecting people to always treat you fairly, let me just tell you something. You will be disappointed. See, I don't know a whole lot about life, but I know this one thing about life that people will disappoint you. 
situations will disappoint you. And if you are expecting everything to be always fair in life, if you are basing your happiness and your satisfaction on life being fair, you're always going to be dissatisfied. These men were discontent because they expected. But then notice the second thing. They began to complain. Everybody say complain. Let me just tell you something. If you want to be dissatisfied, here's what you do. You just start to complain. In fact, this is what what we see happen in this story in verse number 11. And when they received it, they began to grumble. Now, first of all, let's think about these guys for a second. First of all, they had agreed to get paid a denarius, right? At the first of the day, they, they were happy with the job. But then when things didn't treat them what they thought would be fairly, then suddenly they were frustrated and they began to grumble and complain. In fact, it kind of reminds me of the story I heard one time about this guy who decided he wanted to be, he wanted to be a monk. And so he went to the monastery and he said, sign me up. I want to be a monk. And so he talked to the head monk and the head monk said, okay, you can sign up. You can start today, but here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to take a vow of silence. And here's how the vow of silence works is that you can only speak to two words once a year. So the guy says, okay, I think I can do that. I sign up for the vow of silence. So the first year goes by and the head monk says, all right, your year is up. Do you have two words that you want to say? And the monk said, food cold. So the head monk went to work that year and made the food better. At the end of the year, he comes out and says, hey, the end of the year is up. You got two words. What are the two words that you have for now? And he says, room dirty. So the monk, the head monk kind of cleans up the room and gets the thing going. And another year goes by and he says, what are your two words? And he says, bed hard. So the head monk kind of fixes up the bed, gets him a new mattress. Another year goes by. Finally, the monk comes in and says, what are your two words? And the monk says, I quit. <laughs> and the head monk looked at him and says, I'm not surprised you ain't done nothing but complain since you got here. <laughs> Come on, that's funny right there. I don't care. I don't care who you are. And isn't this a lot of our lives? Complain, 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 grumble and complain. Like, wham, wham, wham. Somebody called a wambulance, you know? I mean, it's like, and let me just tell you something. If you want to be dissatisfied with something, here's what you do. Start complaining about it. Yeah, you want, to be, you want to be dissatisfied with your job? Just grumble and complain about, I hate this job and this dumb boss and those people I work with and they work me so hard and they don't care about me and is it Friday yet? Come on, right? Same job you prayed God would give you and he gave you and now you're complaining about it? Come on. You want, you want to have a, a frustrated marriage? You want to be dissatisfied with your spouse? Just complain about them all the time. Oh, I, wish, I wish he had put the toilet seat down. Come on. I wish she'd cook more. He'd do the dishes more. She'd get all her stuff off the vanity in the bathroom. You know, come on, right? Just complain. You want to hate your car? Just complain about it. Man, I hate this stupid car, man. I wish I had leather seats and those little deals in the seats that heat up and cool down my rear end. You know, I mean, I wish I had that kind of car. Let me tell you something. Your words create your world. And your moods Your emotions are created by the words that you speak. The Bible says in Proverbs that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Do you want to be dissatisfied? Here's what you do. You expect. And then when those expectations are not met, you begin to grumble and complain about those unmet expectations. And then notice number three, if you want to be dissatisfied, here's what you do. You expect, you complain, and check this out. You begin to compare. 
fact, this is what happens in this story. Look at this, verse number 12. The, these who were hired last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Check this out. These guys were happy with what they had. They were happy with their job until they began to compare it with the other workers. They were happy with what they were getting paid until they compared it to what someone else was getting paid. And isn't this the nature of dissatisfaction that most of us, the reason we are discontent with what we have is not because what we have is not good enough. It's because we begin to compare what we have with what we see that somebody else has. And it will lead to discontentment and dissatisfaction every single time. And we all do it. I mean, I've done it. I, mean, I remember when I was a kid, I got my, my first car. My first car was a 1981 Mustang. Now, some of you are like, Mustang, yeah, Mustang. No, no, no. This was a four-cylinder Mustang EX. 1981 had louvers on the back. Come on. And man, I remember it sounded like, because it was a four-cylinder and it didn't have much speed. It sounded like this. It was a little four-speed on the floor. My friends called it the kazoo. I'm not kidding. One of my friends bought me a kazoo and I hung it on the mirror. But guess what? I was thrilled with that car when my dad drove up and said, this is your car. And I was 16 years old. You know why? Because that meant freedom. That meant I had wheels. That meant he bought me a car that I didn't have to pay for. Come on. You know what I'm saying? I was happy with my car until a couple of years later, my sister got her first car. And my first car was a 1981 Mustang. Her first car, come on guys, was a 1992 Pontiac Grand Am. (laughs) Now, it wasn't really much either. (laughs) But it was 11 years better than mine. Come on, right? And suddenly when I saw her car, I was unhappy with my car. And isn't this the way most of us live our lives? Come on, we're happy with what we got till we compare to what someone else has. I'm happy, you know, I'm happy with my house until I spend all day long watching HGTV and suddenly my house is a piece of junk because it wasn't designed by Chip and Joe. Come on, you know what I'm saying. I'm happy with my car until the neighbor drives up with a brand new car and then suddenly I don't like my car anymore. I'm happy with my life until I'm scrolling through Instagram or Facebook and I'm seeing everybody else's life and what they're doing and where they're going and what they're eating and what they're wearing and how wonderful this big picture of their life that they are painting and suddenly as I compare my life to theirs, my life stinks. And can I just tell you something, all right? That stuff on Facebook, it ain't real. that's not their real life. In fact, pastors, we're the worst because I can have a great Sunday, preach a great sermon, which every Sunday, great sermons. Amen. Come on, (laughs) praise the Lord. I can have a great Sunday and and leave feeling wonderful about it. Get on Facebook or Instagram. See my pastor friends who are are saying, you know, we had five people saved at our service and they're saying we had 50 people saved at our service. And suddenly I'm like, our service was terrible. Right? You know, and you know what you're doing? Nobody ever gets on Facebook. No, no pastors ever get on Facebook and go, man, our attendance was terrible today. I stunk at preaching. Nobody got saved. Come on, nobody does that. You know what you do? You put on all the highlight reels of your life. 
And many of you, the reason you're dissatisfied is you, you've got the thing that, God, that you prayed for, that, that you wanted God to give you, but then you start comparing it to what somebody else has and it leads to a discontented life. So what do you do about it? Let me give you three habits that you can begin to have in your life that will help you to deal with this idea of discontentment. The first one is this. You can learn to make this a habit to rejoice in God's goodness in the lives of others. Come on, everybody say rejoice. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to learn to be a person who looks at the lives of others. And instead of comparing to them, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rejoice in God's goodness in their life rather than being jealous about what they have and what I don't. In fact, we see this in this passage. Look at this in verse number 15. Look what the master says. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Think about that. The master says, hey, you're complaining because of what I paid you. But it's my money. I can give it out any way I want to give it out. And let me just tell you something. The master in the story represents God in our lives and don't you think that God the master of our life is his anyway he can decide how he wants to give it out and who are we to say well God you bless them more than you blessed me right instead what we ought to do is we, we ought to make it a habit to say here's what I'm going to do I'm going to rejoice when God blesses my friend and I see it on Facebook or I see it on Instagram or my neighbor gets a new car or whatever. Here's what I'm going to do. Instead of comparing and complaining and being dissatisfied with what I have, instead I'm going to rejoice and genuinely mean it in my heart. I'm going to be happy for those that God has blessed. In fact, Paul writes it like this in Romans 12 and verse 15. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those that mourn. Now, let me just tell you something. It's a whole lot easier to mourn with someone who is mourning than it is to rejoice with someone who is rejoicing because here's what we do like it's easy to get down there go oh I'm so sorry life's going bad for you mine's really good over here but I'm sorry your life is going bad it's easy even to rejoice with those who are rejoicing as long as their life's not going better than yours but Paul says hey rejoice with those who rejoice like when I see God blessing someone else I'm going to celebrate that in their life. In fact, I have a friend who will call me every now and then. And he'll just tell me all the great things that are happening in his business and in his life and how it's growing. And as he does, I just try to encourage him and just, man, that is awesome. I'm so proud of you. Man, God is blessing. Keep going and, and all that. I remember one time he told me, he said, Pastor, you know why I call you and tell you all this good stuff that's going on in my life? Here's the reason I call you is because when I call you, I can count on the fact that you're going to celebrate with me. In fact, he says, I don't have very many people that I can call and tell all the good things that are happening in my life because they get jealous and they don't want to lift me up and they don't want to celebrate with me and I thought how sad is that that that's the way many of us are that we have no one who will celebrate with us when things are going good in our life but I'm telling you God will do something in your life when you decide to get this attitude instead of comparing and being jealous of what God is doing in others lives I'm genuinely on the inside going to be happy when God blesses others I'm gonna make this a habit Rejoice with those who rejoice. Number two, I'm going to make it a habit to recognize. Everybody say recognize. To recognize God's goodness in my own life. See, here's the deal. Many times God has blessed us and we just don't see it because we're so busy comparing our lives to someone else. 
And we got to be a person that begins to look around. In fact, we see it in this text in verse 13. Look what it says. It says, but he answered, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? In other words, he says, hey, I haven't withheld from you. Let me just tell you something, guys. God has not withheld from you. There may be others that you look around and see that, man, they seem to be more blessed than you. But guess what? When you look, when you look at your own life and you look around, you gotta, you gotta admit, God has blessed you. And let me just tell you something else. It's easy to look at someone else's life and go, man, the grass is really greener over there in their life. But let me just let you in on a little secret. Sometimes the grass is greener in someone else's life because there's a whole bunch more poop in their yard. <laughs> Some of, you, some of you look at me and you go, man, pastor, if I had your life, of course I'd be saying that. Look at all oh, you've blessed your family, your church and your ministry and all that kind of stuff. And yes, man, thank God that he has blessed us in such good ways. But let me just tell you something. We've had to shovel a whole lot of poop to get to where we are right now. Never envy somebody else's grass that's greener because you don't know the poop that they've shoveled to have that kind of green grass in their lives. Come on, that sounds raw, but it's just real. And let me just tell you something else. If the grass is greener somewhere else, maybe you need to water your own yard. Maybe you need to start looking at your own life and realize, man, God has blessed me in big ways and be thankful for his blessings in my life. Nothing will kill discontentment like a heart of gratitude. Give thanks to the Lord in all circumstances for this is the will of Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice in God's goodness in others. I'm gonna recognize God's goodness in me. And then this is what I'm gonna do. Man, this is the key of this whole message. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna remember that I'm not that good. You say, what do you mean by that? Let me just tell you something, Pastor. So many times we get so frustrated like these guys did in this story because life's not fair. Things aren't fair. They didn't treat me fairly. The boss didn't treat me fairly. The, the, the pastor didn't treat me fairly. Things didn't go the way I thought should be fair. And we strive and we fight for fairness. We, we, we say, God, treat me fairly. And let me just tell you something. You don't want God to treat you fairly. Fairness is highly overrated. Because you know what my Bible says? It says in Romans 3.23 that we, that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in Romans 6.23, it says there's a payment, a penalty for that sin that you and I, we deserve to die. And so many times we get so frustrated and we say, God, you're not treating me fairly. God, give me what I deserve. And let me just tell you something. You don't want what you deserve. Because what you deserve is death. What I deserve is death. But what God has given us by his incredible grace is that he has given us life. You know what we deserve? We deserve punishment. But because of God, his, his wonderful love, he has shown us mercy. You know what we deserve? We deserve eternity in hell. But you know what God has offered us? The gift of heaven with his son Christ Jesus for all of eternity. I'm telling you, you better be glad that you don't get what you deserve. You better be glad that God God is not fair. No, no, no. He doesn't give us what he deserves. He gives us more than what we have deserved. And when we're frustrated and discontent and dissatisfied with our life, we got to realize, and we're not that good, but God is so good to us. In fact, I love the way that Paul writes it when he talks about contentment in this passage in Philippians chapter 4 verse 12. I want you to see what it says. Look what he says. He says, I know what it's like to be in need 
And I know what it's like to have plenty. But I have learned the secret. Everybody say the secret. I have learned the secret. The secret of what? The secret of being content. In every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, for I can do all this, all things, through Christ who strengthens me. You know, that's a very famous, that last verse, very famous, I can do all things. Well, let me tell you something. This verse is not about something that you quote before a basketball game or when you're going to run a marathon. I can do all things. That's not even what this passage is about. You know what it's about? It's about contentment. You know what Paul says? I've learned the secret. The secret to being content. And here it is. Hey, I've been with and I've been without and I've been in want and I've been in need and I've had all this good situations and bad situations and people who have treated me well and people who treated me incredibly unfairly. But here's what I have discovered. The secret is this, that contentment is not in situations, that contentment is not in people, that contentment is not in the things that I have or the things that I don't have, but contentment is found in Christ. Here's what Paul says. The secret that I have learned, the secret to contentment is this. Christ is enough. Some of you are here today. When you look at your life, man, I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. You're looking at, I don't have the thing that I want or the circumstances of my life or not the way that I want them or things haven't gone the way I expected and I don't feel like I have been treated fairly. God, this is not fair. And God says, no, no, I've given you better than fairness. I've given you my son, Jesus Christ, and he is enough for whatever you need today. That's the secret of contentment. 